that was my introduction right there. All right. Have you ever uh, experienced as a child a game that's called hot or cold? So you might not know the name and it might be called something different, but have you ever had somebody that you've played with as a child that hid something and then the person looking for it had to hide their eyes or maybe they even had their eyes open, but the, the person that hid it went, you're cold. You're freezing, and then you turn, and they go, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Warmer. You're getting hot. Hot. You're burning up, and there it is. Anybody ever play that game beside me? I always like to be the heralder, you know, the hot, you're hot, you know. And, the, <laughs> and as a pastor, that, that's kind of what I do every Sunday. I encourage you to go to the things of God, to, to get on fire for God. You know, a lot of times we see people and they're not passionate about anything. They, they just look at life and they come in, oh well, I got up in the morning, I'll get up tomorrow morning. But as children of God, we look at life differently. And as we're growing and as we're talking this year about maturing, spiritually speaking, we at the first of the year we gave out little crepe myrtles. You know, just a little crepe myrtle and it was a stick. And some of you went, Pastor, did you give me an actual crepe myrtle or just put a stick in the dirt? But it wasn't long until a lot of us realized that there was some leaves that came on that little stick and we felt like it gave life. We got life. And, and pretty soon we, we took care of it. We put it outside and we saw some of those leaves. And we go, oh, no. And it reverted back to stick. How many people got a stick today? Yeah, some of you. And we realized, it's just as kind of a little illustration, that, you know, it, it isn't easy to get, keep that little crepe myrtle alive and, and to, you know, take care of it, to water it, to put it in the sun, but not give it too much sun because it'll scorch it or, you know, all the things to fertilize it in the spring, but not in the summer because it'll scorch it, but in the fall. And, and we, we watch it, we put it in the right place, and there's always somebody that's, outshining your crepe myrtle, you know. Twyler, it's good to have her back. She took a picture of hers, and it looked like a bush. Now, I'm not for sure that's the one I gave her, but it, it's growing better than mine. But you know what I mean? It, when you're talking about spiritual growth in your life, it's something that just, it doesn't come naturally. You have to resist the path of least resistance, which is just kind of floating down the stream of life and acting like raw, you know, and then wonder why you're not growing spiritually. Well, this morning, I want to continue the series entitled, A Living Dog is Better Than a Dead Lion. And it comes from the passage of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4, that says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. And it comes from the ancient, you know, proverb, a lot of, a lot of different uh, countries in ancient eastern, you know, of the world, the part of the world, talked about, you know, the dog being almost the vilest of all animals, but the, the lion being a sign of nobility. But, but the proverb, the, the actual thought of this verse is, that as long as you have breath, you have hope. This morning we're going to be talking about a tough, 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 tough subject in the life of David. And you have to realize that this morning when I begin to preach this message, you might be in a tough, tough, 
tough time of your life. But you have breath. You're breathing. You have hope. And for spiritual maturity, you're coming on up. You're saying, you know what? I don't like where I'm here, where I'm at right now. Everybody gets that. But here's what needs to come out of your mouth. You have to be, again, proactive as I heard today in 8 to grade. Chris Blair did a great job. Is You've got to continually tell yourself, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to go on. The first thing that I want you to know in this passage is everyone becomes great on the battlefield. But everyone doesn't want to be on the battlefield. David is in the lowest time probably of his life, is what we read. And, and when you get privy to somebody's really diary of their life, the Bible talks about David pretty much more than anybody in the Bible. So we know the details. And this is a hard subject because... You and I, going through the situations, wouldn't want everything be written down and people to look at it, you know, take it and, well, well, looky there. But that's what we really get to do with David's life. And again, it's not to criticize him or criticize you this morning, but it is to see as a biblical example that we do not suffer the same mistakes David did, that we avoid them, that we, we see them and go, oh, I don't want to do that. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is kind of what I want to read this morning. So watch this. In the spring, now listen, we're, we're in a season here. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath, but David remained in Jerusalem. There, there's kind of a question there. What, what was it? What, what? Think about it. You're in a season, and the season is when kings go off to war. But all of David's men, king's men, are going off to battle, but someone's missing. That's David. The battlefield's over there, but David's over here. Let me continue. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Can, can I say that again? She was very, they put the very in there, very beautiful. Do, does anybody ever wonder who, who gave that information? It's probably David. Very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Seven words, the next seven words that are going to describe action of a choice that changes his life. Listen to these seven words. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself for monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Does anybody, if you've never heard this story before, realize that David realized he had a problem, but now he's got a big problem. A problem that can't be hid. Let's just go ahead and get through this, and I want to make some comments. It says, 
So David sent his word, sent this word to Joab. Joab's his general. He's with the army. David's at home at the palace. So he sent word to the army where Joab, the general, is. Send me Uriah the Hittite. Now who's Uriah? He's the husband of the lady he just slept with. And Joab sent him to David, or and Joab sent him to David, Uriah. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was. Now, now get the scene. He's out in the field with the army. Bring me Uriah. Uriah comes all the way back to Jerusalem. Okay, you get this? So he comes in, he's probably dirty, he's been out there on the field. What in the world? David's going to kind of act like he's honoring him. He says, how's Joab? How are the soldiers? How's the war going? In verse 8 it says, Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. Go down and be with your wife so that nobody will know that I'm the father of the child she's pregnant with. It doesn't say that, but that's what he has done. He's planned this. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him, but Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. A little additive here. And sleep with his wife Bathsheba. So, so you can imagine, now you've got a problem. You, you've done something of a mistake, a, a failure. The next thing is she's pregnant. Now, uh, what do I do? Another mistake. I'm going to try to cover it up. Now he's going to make another mistake. Now, now watch this. James says that, again, as we begin to look at a person's life and we begin to judge it, it's, it's kind of like me looking down at you. And, and no, because James says that we are all sinners. If you break the law in one point, you're considered a lawbreaker. So as we continue on, I want us to all, again, begin to walk in grace because we're going to judge according to the law of liberty and, and walk by grace. But at the same time, I want you to see how this can apply to us. He's got a problem. Uriah isn't going to go home and sleep with his wife. Therefore, it's not going to be long. We're pretty much easy to predict, right? Nine months later, there's going to be a surprise. He's got to act quick. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He gives him a letter to take back to the army, to the general. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Now, now get this. The guy is holding his own death sentence as he goes back to David. Do, do you think that David realizes what he's doing is wrong? Yes. Now, now again, just like you and I, when we're, we're desiring to grow spiritually and there's things that come into our path that we all come to that point of choice. David is at a choice point in his life and those choices aren't just yes or no. It's action choice. He's going to take an action for every choice that he, he's making. He is telling Joab, the guy that is giving you the letter, I want you to kill him. 
But think about that. The Bible says that that's exactly what happens. The battle is raging. They withdraw. Uriah dies. And it's not long until David moves in on Bathsheba and brings her to the palace, makes her his wife. Now, there's a lot of story in between this and that, but she eventually births Solomon, which becomes king after David. But in the genealogy, if you ever read the genealogy in Matthew, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, you know, you're going, oh my goodness, you know, what did... But if you ever read that, there's ladies' names in the genealogy, like Rahab. She she was a a prostitute. You, You had people like Ruth, that wasn't even a Jewish lady. A Moab, a Moabite. And, and, but then you come to, to seeing that in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you see David, but then you see Solomon, and it, it doesn't say Bathsheba. It says, listen, David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uriah gets an honorable mention. <laughs> In the Word of God. When you think about a man of integrity, this guy is so loyal to David. He says, you know what? While everybody else is sleeping out in the field and they're suffering and stuff, I'm not going to go home to the luxuries of my house, including my wife. Do I have to convince you that this is a bad thing that's happened? And when you and I do those things, we realize it's a bad thing. You don't need your husband say, you did a bad, you don't need your wife, it's your boss, a bad thing. We all know it. So let me kind of give you an idea, kind of setting this up. It says it was the springtime when kings went off to war. And, and you know, if you ever think, what, what's up with that? Why was it just, it's almost like it's Super Bowl time and everybody knows you play football at Super Bowl time. But see, in this ancient culture, they were tied to the land. They were agricultural people. They were ranchers and and farmers. And that's why it was so amazing to possess the land with Joshua going in because this land was very prosperous. Milk and honey, baby, it was there. Why? Because the grass was lush and the livestock could grow and multiply. Uh, the, The ground was fertile. They could plant stuff and it would grow. And at springtime was planting time. So the enemy or you... You both had responsibilities. You had to protect your boundaries because anybody that would want it would come in and encroach on your boundaries and take over your land, which would say that they would take over your farming land. But if you could go out and defeat countries or nations inside of Israel, your boundaries could be spread out more and more and more and more and more, and you would be prosper. Your livestock would prosper as a nation, and you would grow stronger. This is the season of time. We know that any government's responsibility is to protect its people, just like the United States. We're we're glad that we have a strong army. David had a resume that was as long as your arm. I mean, he's a giant killer. He had the ability to do this, but at this season in his life, it's it's the responsibility. We see that he stays home. So so this morning, I, I want you to see this. Because some people think that, you know, the, the fighting is going to last 
all their life. It, just in this, this story of David, the, the fighting didn't last all year. We, we realized that in the winter there wasn't food for the livestock in the army so that they would disband. A lot of times, even in uh, the midsummer months, that they would just go home. It was only a season of fighting for three or four months just, again, to protect the boundaries or in, in to, to go into other parts of the world and to conquer them. Just a season. Now, now, applying that to our life, we realize that there's seasons that the enemy seems to come against us stronger than other seasons. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. No, 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 sir. You're not going to go, yep. Come on now, think about it. Is there seasons in your life where you feel like, what in the world is happening? Yeah. I'm glad you can be honest today. You're in church. Transparency is good. It seems like sometimes the enemy, you know, is, is stronger. But we already know the outcome, that we have victory in Jesus Christ. But at times in seasons, that push is so strong, and it seems like that season we're just going, oh, I'm dry, I'm confused, I'm disappointed. All those words that come out of our mouth that really signify, I just feel different because I feel like I just can't succeed. Realize today that you don't have to stay on the battlefield very long. That there's seasons that you fight against the enemy. That doesn't mean that it isn't constantly a, a fight, but I'm, I'm saying that the battlefield isn't always going to be that way. And, and the enemy likes to pro do the proportionate, you know, where you're, you're going to live to be, let's say, 100 years old, and you're going to fight 99.9 .9 years. No. But greatness happens on the battlefield. See, the, the, God wants a balance in your life. He wants the good things as, as His children, as a father wants for His children. But, but to, to have the balance in your life, to put Him as priority, is, is the thing to remember. When you think about the battlefield, a lot of times we don't want to go on the battlefield, but that's where the greatness is. If, if there is no giant, there's no giant killer. If there's no battle, the soldiers just sit around and whine and complain about the food and, and the clothing and the equipment. Well, I think they got better equipment over there than me. It's the battlefield that if there's no choice of fighting or flight, then usually that just naturally there's going to be a path of least resistance of just again, no resistance, just There's no advance, just regressing. But, but think about this before I go on. The best will come out of the battlefield in your life if you recognize who you are. Now that's, that's very important because if you don't know who you are in the middle of the battle because trouble shows up to ask one question, you know that, right? Who are you? Do, do you actually believe what you have been taught that you say is your belief system? Because trouble will show up to ask that question. Anytime you're going through that season where you feel like you're under attack, just, just kind of write that down. You know, put the biggest, ugliest face looking at you saying, he's asking me, who are you? And that's when you look back and say, I'm a child of the king and I've already won the war. Boy, come on. And, and here's David and he's, he's in the season and he realized, 
Do you understand? I, I've kind of come up with this conclusion that most people don't do, don't do anything that they're not made to. Now, now we're different because you're at church and nobody made you come. I hope your wife didn't make you come or your husband didn't make you come. You're good in the car. See, we laugh because nobody made us. But most people don't do anything that they're not made to. If you're an employer, you know that the employees a lot of times wouldn't be there on time if you weren't there on time. Do you realize that, that, that all through history that it's even not only the law that makes us do something, you know, because it's making us not speed or rob somebody's house because there's consequences. So we don't do that. But when you think about other things like a cultural things that make us do things, you know, there was a time where people didn't take a shower most days. They did it on Saturday if they needed it or not. But culture has changed so that it's almost like we're made to do that now. Everybody with me? Some people haven't read a book since high school because that's the last time the high school teacher made them do it. That went over like a rat sandwich. All right. Sometimes it's peer pressure that causes us to do... But here's today what I'm trying to get to. Why in the world did David... Stay away from the battle. Let me give you some thoughts. And, and you know, I'm thinking about this, and th this is just a thought. And there's my first point right there. Maybe he thought success gave him the right to retire. Now, I'm not talking about retiring from a job, getting out of the military you've spent time in, or something like that. I'm talking about retiring from life. Irresponsible, Ill, in, you know, selfish, just saying, you know what, I, I'm done with life, I'm not going to do anything. Isn't that kind of America's dream to just get to the point where you have enough money where you just can be selfish and say, I check out of life. I'm not going to do it anymore. But this morning, again, when, when the battle comes, if you don't step up to the battlefield, th there's some things that you are missing of who you are. Remember in Genesis where it says that God created, you know, all things in the seventh day, you know, he's rested. Do you realize that when he created man and woman, he says that I've given you the ability to rule and to subdue the earth? Anybody ever read that? If you don't believe me, go back and read it. Those are both words that are, that are actionary, that are violent, really. And, and to realize that as, as you read the Word of God and you get into Revelations, it talks about us being kings and priests. And, and when you get away from the uncomfortable feeling of the luxury of that position, you know, I'm a king? Oh, I don't know if I could ever be a king or a priest. He's talking about establishing something that's going to last throughout eternity. And, and for eternity, for most of us, that's something that our brains kind of start smoking because we can't get it. But when you stop and think that somebody is always going to have to rule, the question is, who's going to rule and reign? God says, I've created my children to rule and to reign. To restore you back to your original place that when sin came into the earth in the Garden of Eden. To redeem you. Matter of fact, the Word of God says, I have called you by name. Don't fear. I have redeemed you. What's redeemed? To restore back to the original place. 
So, so when you're beginning to think of ruling and reigning, and you say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I just don't know. That, that's, kind of, that's, that's very high for me to think that I'd be a king or queen, you know, to, to rule and reign. I want you to realize that who else will rule and reign? Would you be okay if, say, the atheist or the humanist or the, the Buddhist or the Muslims, see, they're waiting to rule and reign. But the Word of God, God said, I have created you to rule and reign. So when the opportunity of the battlefield comes up, David could have been like, you know what? You know, I've been pretty successful. I think I have the right to retire. Just going to sit back, ease. I'm not going to go to the battle. It's time for a sleeping bride, the church, to wake and say, I'm going to walk in our identity of who God has created us to be. And the second thing I want you to look at is he might have already, have you, have you ever thought about this? Maybe some of the men might have thought about this, but David might have already spotted Bathsheba and waiting, was waiting for an opportunity. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings went off to war, David stayed home. It says one evening, David got up from bed and was strolling around when he saw a beautiful woman. Now, have you ever thought that in a situation like this, and again, the battle's going over there, but he says, I'm going to stay here. See, a temptation, they say, can only, will only last at an average of about eight minutes. Now, I don't know who came up with that statistic. But a lot of times that temptation will lead to longer... Well, you know, somebody told me that last year Bathsheba likes to bathe in the spring. Well, I, when was that? That was in the spring? Well, I'm going to be out to war. And who's to say that he didn't begin to move things around and delegate authority and say, you know, I'm not going to the battle this year because the live show is going to take place in the spring. And I want to be there. Again, that, that mindset of, of thinking, you know what? I, I know that's not right. But I'm going to coordinate everything around to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I, I, I wonder sometimes too if Bathsheba didn't know that David was there watching. That's just a thought. But the, the summarization of that is what the enemy warriors could not do, Bathsheba did. And that is, cause him to get his eyes off of God. Remember as a young man, he's going out against a giant, and, and, and Goliath is there throwing all you little no good. You, 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 you. And David goes, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of God. I mean, he, he's seen things that other soldiers aren't seeing. Soldiers are scared. He's taken the charge. Now he's back at the palace. Come on, what's going on? Let me give you a third one. David might have been afraid. Come on, man. David isn't afraid of anything. Possibility. I mean, he's killed a lot of guys. I mean, the ladies sang... David's killed his tens of thousands. So how many people 
had he killed that had brothers and fathers and uncles that said, all I have to do is kill David and I'll be famous. Later on in his life, his men finally realized that he had gotten a little bit older, a little bit along in the tooth and said, you don't need to go out with us. I mean, you, you don't need to fight anymore. You need to... But at this situation, he might have been afraid and thought, you know what, how long can I go to battle and still not get killed? Before I give number four, I just want to know, you might think that it could be all of those three together in your situation. I mean, he thought maybe he had success, so he had the right to retire. Maybe he had already spotted Bathsheba and thought, I'm going to wait here. I'm going to retire here at the palace and... Maybe he was afraid, you know, since I don't want to go get killed, this is a great place to be. And maybe all those things are something that's playing in your life. But here's another thing that I, I, you know, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you of what is it to you that gets your eyes off of God and distracted by something you know isn't right? Come on now, be honest with yourself. Because sometimes you can go to church and hear the Word of God and it's like rain hitting an old farm road that's been beaten down, you know, as hard as concrete. It just bounces off, doesn't absorb. Why? Because the Word of God says in Mark chapter 4, when the seed was scattered among the roots or the, the thorny places, it said that it didn't produce because of what? The thorns are like the deceitfulness of wealth the worries of this life, and the desires for anything else. Just desires for other things. So because of those things that are in your heart, the Word of God can never change it. And, and, and sometimes I wonder if, if we don't get to that place that we, we know when we're thinking about doing something that we shouldn't be doing. You know, somebody doesn't have to be there and go, you already know it. I know it. I know myself. But it takes action on our part to get these things, these distractions out of our life. Even if it's like, you know what, I, I feel like I'm getting colder, colder, and someone's going, colder! In other words, turn around and quit doing that. So that it can be warmer, warmer, hot. In other words, you're on fire for God. The fourth thing that I just wonder, and I'll wrap it up, is I wondered. The other day I just added this one is, I wonder if David was bored with life. He had stayed the course all his life, and maybe he had grown weary. A lot of people are messing up around him and causing him trouble, and maybe he's just tired. He's grown weary. Thank you, God. And again, Filling up his days with meaningless things and distractions, just like you and I can do. Deceitfulness of wealth. If I just have, if I just have this new car, if I have that new house, if I have that, if I get the worries of this life, I wonder if I'm going to lose it all. I don't want to go to the battle. You know, I've been promoted, but you know, I might lose it all tomorrow. Fear, doubt, and unbelief comes into our life. All these little distractions. And I wonder if he just can, didn't get bored with life. He 
he had seen war. He had seen challenges come in his life. He had defeated almost every enemy. He, he had succeeded more than any other king. He's only, you know, the second king, so that's not much. But at the same time, you go all the way back to Joshua. Joshua comes in with this big country, but he doesn't really defeat all the armies. He subdues the land to the point they're rulers, but they do not kill all the armies. They just weakened them. David is wiping out their armies. So maybe he got to a point where he's a little tired. I've seen war before. I've been in a lot of battles. Matter of fact, I went in a battle one time and nobody even went but me against Goliath. And all of a sudden, all these excuses came. I don't need to go to battle again. Here's another one. Let somebody younger go to battle. That was what I used to do. I did. Bored. I got to sleep out there in the hard ground. is it with you? Are, are, are you on the battlefield fighting for what God has purpose for you in your life? Or are you on the rooftop distracted by other things? Consumed with all the things that are going on in, in your life that are really temporal, meaningless, and then at the same time, you're going, you know, I, I just don't feel the heat of God anymore, the, the passion that I used to have of God. It seems like I've grown cold, and, and it seems like the Holy Spirit's going colder, colder, but I still keep going. I just keep walking. And then I, boy, God, why aren't you with me? I can't hear your voice anymore. I can't do the things. I don't see the miracles that you used to do in my life. Because let me tell you, first of all, being in the wrong place is the biggest part of the problem. If you could put that down and put that by your bed at night, don't be in the wrong place. You know what I'm talking about. I don't even have to preach very much more on that, but you know what I'm talking about. If you take a real quick biblical example of the story of Ruth, if you remember that, if you've ever been here on a Mother's Day, you probably heard a Ruth story. And Ruth and her sister-in-law are going back to Israel with a lady named Naomi, their mother-in-law. And Naomi says to both of them, go on home. You guys aren't Israelites. I don't have any sons anymore. They died. Your husbands died. Go on home. And Opa says, okay, I'll go back. But Ruth says, <laughs> you go anywhere. I'm right there with you. You better quit. Quit talking now. I'm not going to go. I'm going to go with you. And we know that the of being in the right place with the right time at the right, or with the right people, she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I mean, the whole story is an amazing story. But if you take a negative example of that, you can go to Lot. He's a young man. His uncle Abraham is going to another country. He doesn't know where he's going. But the favor of God is all over Abraham's life. And Lot is just kind of picking up the crumbs and all his herds and all his prosperity is growing. And the day comes that he's too rich to be with Abraham. And Abraham says, all right, guys, the, the, the ranch hands are fighting. You're going to have to go a little bit over here and I'll go over here. And he goes, well, I'll take the best place. Wrong answer. He should have looked at Abraham and said, <laughs> wherever you go, I go, will your people be my people? And I mean, just like Ruth said. He says, now, he might have said, well, I'm going to send my ranch hands over there, but at night I'm sleeping here with you because the favor of God's on you. 
But we know the story of Abraham and Lot. Lot goes over here and, and puts up a tent, you know, and his families, and it says he's viewing Sodom, wickedness. And, and if you know the story, he gets closer and closer until finally he's living in Sodom to the place that he falls, everything falls apart in his life. This morning, I want you to understand, first of all, where are you at? Are you on the battlefield where you can't lose and destined for victory? Are you on the rooftop of your life looking for all these distractions other than the things of God and the purpose of God in your life? The second truth about greatness is everybody suffers mistakes, but the great ones will own their mistakes and learn from it. This is hard because... Can I tell you that if nobody would have found out about David's sin, he would have thought that he was in the clear. But I'm here to tell you that he would have gotten colder, 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 colder. And he would have suffered eventually for it anyway. But there's something about owning your mistake. You might right now, right this minute, somebody here today is right in the middle of the sin. And you're saying, God, forgive me. But you're thinking, I'm probably going to mess up tomorrow the same way that I messed up yesterday. And why should I even ask? Let me tell you, that is a lie from the enemy. And if you want to write down a scripture that needs to be a confession, because let me tell you, David was a great king, but he was a great repenter. And here's his passage in Psalms 51, and he says, he goes, now, now wait, just before I read that, I, I have a point that I really feel like this morning when I was preaching this, I got this, and I'll, I'll be quick on this. But it, when, when David is looking at it, and he thinks nobody knows the problem and the mistake in his life and all the distractions that are in his life, as long as nobody knows it, he, he's got a, uh, an excuse because he's taught, his heart has the uh-oh, and he tells his brain, you better come up with a reason that I'm okay so that he can live with himself. But the story is the prophet comes to David and says, Look, can you, can, you, can you help me out with the story? And, and you pass judgment because you're the king. And, and Nathan has a smooth way of coming in there and he says, there's this man, a servant, that has one little lamb. And he took care of it like it was his daughter. I mean, just took care of it as a pet. And then he worked for a rich man that had all these different sheep, and, and, but he had a traveler that came and stayed at the rich man's house, and the rich man went and took the little sheep, the little lamb from the man that worked for him, and killed it and ate it. David's, that guy ought to be a sh and, and really, he doesn't even realize that Nathan eventually will say, you're the man. You're the man that took the wife of Uriah. Now, now watch this. From his perspective, his heart has already told his brain, you're okay. I don't care what the excuse was. We can always, can't we come up with some good excuse? They're doing it. They're doing it. So-and-so did it. But here he is, and once the perspective changes, and he's the man, all of a sudden he realizes, and here's what he has to his credit, he owns it. And he says this. Let me read this real quick. He says this. Have mercy 
on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Do you remember we sung the song, my sin was great, but your love was greater? According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. It goes all the way through Psalms 51, his confession. He doesn't have any more excuses. He doesn't blame any. God, did you see her out there? It was her fault. She shouldn't have been out there. No, he didn't do that. No blame, but he owns it. Now, today as we're talking about fighting for the purpose that God has put in our heart and the passion that should be there instead of the cold heart that grows when we have all the other distractions in our life, I want us to get to the point where we realize that there is a reason, again, that I've mentioned already, to, to push through the sin that is in our life. It takes discipline. It takes hard work to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Can, can, I don't want you to do it tomorrow. But if you do it tomorrow, could you say, I'm not going to do it the next day. I, I'm going to stand and I'm going to yell, God, I need your help. Amen. I got a revelation when I turned about 16 and I got the car keys. And I went to places that I always had gone with my dad. But I didn't know how to get there. Why? Because I was in the back seat. Here's your keys. I don't know how to get there. That's before GPS. Not that far before GPS. But the revelation is this. If we're going to rule and reign for eternity, you know what eternity is? Forever, never, never, never. That we, we, we need to start working on this right here. That we fight for the purpose of who we are and we believe that we're sons and daughters of the King. That we'll rule and reign throughout eternity with God. That some of these little distractions, some of these little sins, some of the big sins that we commit, we need to say, God, forgive me. And I need your help to get through this. Can we do that this morning? Can we do that this morning? Amen. Let the Holy Spirit take it from here. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. And God, we know that Calvary, God, the cross is the symbol, God, of forgiveness in our life. What you did on the cross for us and dying for our sins gives us the ability to live life, God, full out, hot, on fire for you. God, you've created in us a purpose, not just for ourselves, but to be blessed, to be a blessing. And Father, this morning as we have come to this place, Father, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, but God, that we decide to walk in the Spirit, not by the flesh. And Father, those that are here today that have suffered with sin in their life, Father, I, I just, 
my wish, my hope is that they would realize the God that they don't have to live in that sin. Regret, remorse. The God that they can say, I repent. God, I need your help. I kick out all those thorns, those distractions in my life of having more wealth, more this, more that. If I just had God, that they would be satisfied with you and your goodness. And again, that passion, that fire would come back in their life. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen.